Great, if you've got Bibles with you, um, if you'd like to open them to Matthew chapter 18, that's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, We're going to be reading in a moment from verses 21 to 35. That's the main section of what we're going to be looking at. Also going to be looking at a few other places in Matthew's Gospel and elsewhere, but that's our main passage. And um, you'll know if you glance at it, you'll probably, for many of you, will say, ah, yes, I know that parable, I know that story. This is about forgiveness. You'd be right. This morning's preach is all about forgiveness. And what we're going to do is we're going to hear Jesus the one we've just been worshipping, the one we've just been declaring of who he is and, and how powerful, how wonderful and great his name is. We're going to be hearing him, God in human form, teaching about forgiveness, teaching his disciples about this subject. And remember, this is the one who hung on the cross. One of his last dying words was, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So really, we need to home in on this because this gives us a really amazing insight into the gracious character of our God. So it's great to look at this and see what Jesus has to say about this subject. It's important for us uh, as Christians to look at this. It's important for us as a church to look at this. I'd say this is an important foundation for us um, as a church and as a site in terms of where God's taking us, what he's doing in and through us in this season. We've we've talked about healing and the importance of that. We've talked about how we want this to be a place where God's healing is demonstrated. This is a massive part of that. Forgiveness is linked to healing uh, in a big way. And uh, also, we want to be an open family. Uh, As Mark was saying, we're a family together. It's a really important value for us. We we, we believe we can be family. Whoever we are, we can be together. Because Jesus has brought us together and made us that. He's made us a family. And so we want to live that out. And part of Uh, living out, being an open family, is practicing forgiveness towards one another. So important foundation for us. Now just a couple of introductory things. I just want to kind of get your expectations right and get your hearts kind of ready. Um, You know, often the preacher says, oh yes, I'd like some interaction this morning, if that's okay. Um, Well, feel free. Feel free to heckle or do whatever you want to do, the normal interactions that you might do. But um, there's a specific way that we're going to interact Uh, today, not with me, but with God. So at the end of this message, we are actually going to do some forgiving. Okay, so that's something to just prepare your hearts. uh, And as you listen through uh, this this message. Now, let me just say the Holy Spirit will show you how and who. Okay, it's not for me to say who you need to forgive or whether you need to forgive anyone. The Holy Spirit's going to be showing you as we go through, okay? But I just wanted to let you know, we're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end. Another thing to say about this is that I understand this can be a a difficult subject. Uh, This can be a tricky subject, and maybe for some of us, um, it's not easy to think about forgiving. Perhaps you've been wronged in quite a big way in your life, or perhaps you just know that you um, find it hard to forgive those who have wronged you. And just to say... On that, I recognize and understand that that is the case, and so does God, so you're in good hands. And just to say, in terms of my my experience, some of you know my my story, others of you won't. Um, I'm not going to go into it now, but um, feel free to ask me later on if you would like. I'm very happy to talk about it, Um, but I don't think it's necessary to talk about it in this context right now today. But suffice to say, the the thing I need to say really is that my experience is that I have had to forgive. 
some pretty big things in my life. Um, in fact, you could say that they don't come much bigger than what I've had to forgive. I think it's probably fair to say, actually, in, in my life. So I understand about this subject. And, and if, I, if I could venture to say, maybe have a little bit of experience and authority on this subject to talk about it. Um, the main authority comes from the Word of God, just to make that clear. But in terms of my experience, I've lived this out and walked this out a little bit. So, so please, I understand this can be a difficult subject. Okay. A couple of introductory comments then. That's, that, that, that's it. So let's read uh, the passage. Let's read from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So Jesus is with his disciples in this passage. He's teaching his disciples. And Peter, it says, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Therefore, he goes on, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to s- the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus concludes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Okay, here's five common mistakes Christians make about forgiveness. Okay, that's what I've got. Five common mistakes Christians make about forgiveness. Number one is that we think forgiveness is optional. Sometimes it's as if our, our narrative of the gospel ends in verse 27. The servant fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. And that's where we can finish sometimes. And we think, well, that's great. I've been forgiven. I've received forgiveness from Jesus. It's free grace. I've put my faith in him. My sins have been forgiven. Well, yeah, there's some stuff that maybe I haven't forgiven, but God knows that I find it hard. It's okay. I, I, I still, I'm still forgiven. And we think we can carry on our Christian lives and shelve forgiveness or put it on the back burner. And we think, that's okay. God understands. He's cool with it. Well, he's not cool with it. <laughs> That's what the message of this parable is, really in no uncertain terms, isn't it? 
Jesus doesn't mince his words. And as I said at the beginning, it sometimes can be hard to forgive, and sometimes there can be pain that needs to be worked through. Now, God understands the pain. Of course he does. But it's clear from everything that God is and everything that he's revealed about himself that he wants you to forgive, that he wants you to be a forgiving person. In fact, the New Testament speaks with one voice on this subject. Okay, this isn't just some proof text and then there's other things that balance against it. This is absolutely 100% the absolute message of the New Testament. And that message is that there's an integral integral link between receiving forgiveness and giving it out. There's an integral link between receiving forgiveness and giving it out. In Matthew 5, uh, chapter se- uh, Matthew 5 verse 7, which is um, the Beatitudes, where Jesus is starting his Sermon on the Mount, and he starts off uh, by, by preaching to his disciples, and he says, blessed are what does he say first? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they are spiritually poor. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who know that they're spiritually poor and they mourn about it. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who want to be right with God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are humble enough to recognize their need. What's the next one? Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It's almost like, I don't know if you've ever seen it like this, but the Beatitudes, it's almost like an evangelistic call at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is calling out and he's saying, this is what I'm looking for. If you want to come to me, if you want to be in my kingdom, these are the qualities that you need. These are the attitudes of the heart that you need. And one of those attitudes is mercy. One of those attitudes is forgivingness. Forgivingness? Forgiveness. Now, just in case you think I might have interpreted that wrong, look, consider the Lord's Prayer, okay? So Jesus carries on through the Sermon on the Mount and, he, and his disciples say, teach us to pray. And so he says, this is how you should pray. And we can all recite it, can't we? The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. And uh, the Lord's Prayer actually contains something that isn't a prayer. Did you know that? Or you could say something that isn't a petitionly prayer, if you like. We're all saying... May your name be honored, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. We're asking God for something, we're petitioning God. And then we get to this bit where it says, as we forgive those who sin against us. That's not actually asking God to do something, that's a statement of intent, that's a declaration of, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The two go hand in glove. They are totally inseparable. And we've all learned and we can recite the Lord's Prayer, but I don't think many of us, certainly I didn't in school, learn the little postscript, the little PS at the end of the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew 6.14. Jesus finishes off the Lord's Prayer, and then he goes on to say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Very similar to what he said here in Matthew 18. Now, these are hard words. Can we, can we admit that? These are hard words. It seems like Jesus is maybe kind of transgressing on, dare I say it, hallowed ground. We, we believe in a gospel of free grace. We believe that you don't have to do anything to earn the favor of God. You come to God, you believe in him, you receive forgiveness, and that's it. You're, you're born again. You're in. So does this 
sound like, it sounds a bit like, are you saying you have to forgive first in order to become a Christian? You have to go through this, this thing in order to become a Christian? Well, let me say, no, you do not have to do anything to earn the grace of God. Uh, categorically, 100%, that's really important to say. You do not have to do anything to earn the grace of God. It would not be grace if we could earn it or if we had to earn it. The whole point of grace is that it's a free gift and it's an undeserved gift. We don't deserve it. That's the, whole, that's the reason why it's grace. It's love poured out on the undeserving. So that's not the thing. But there is a spiritual principle here. There's something that, I sound a bit mystical to say, but there's something that almost God has woven into the fabric of reality about this subject. And that is that only the forgiving can truly be forgiven. Only the forgiving can truly be forgiven. You see, forgiveness is a bit like breathing. That's another thing that God's woven into the fabric of reality. He's it made us to be creatures that, that breathe. We have lungs and we breathe in and we breathe out. And we're, we're alive, praise God. And forgiveness is a bit like this. If you just try and just breathe in and not breathe out, you're going to go purple after a little while and you're not going to function. You're not going to be able to, to do anything. When you breathe in, you have to then breathe out. And that really is the principle that's at work here. And that's why Jesus is absolutely so un, uncategorically clear on the issue because he wants his disciples to forgive from the heart because there's a link between forgiving from the heart and receiving forgiveness in your heart. It's a disposition of the heart that we need in order to truly walk into and take hold of everything that Jesus died and rose to win for us. That's how central it is. So it's not optional, okay? It's not optional. It's very, very important and crucial and central. The second um, common mistake Christians can sometimes make about forgiveness is that we can think that forgiveness is one-off. You know, you can sometimes think, oh, well, that happened a long time ago. I'm sure I've forgiven it. It's, it's a long time. In I'm a Christian now. It's, it's ages ago. I'm just getting on with my life. Well, what we see here is that Jesus shows very clearly that forgiveness is something that isn't just one-off. It's amazing if you look at the context of Matthew 18, right at the very beginning of the chapter, this whole kind of discourse comes out of one question. And it's the disciples coming to Jesus and they say, who's the greatest in the kingdom? They want to know who, they want power hungry sort of disciples. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, well, it's a little child. It's the one that makes themselves like a little child. Because if you can't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you can't enter it. And from that then flows this wonderful teaching that he goes on to say throughout the, the passage. And one of the things that he says in, chapter, in verse 15 is, um, if a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if not, if you won't listen, take two or three others along. Uh, and if you, he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And, and it goes on like this. And you see, if you think about Peter, you know, Peter's often the one who asks the silly questions, right, <laughs> to Jesus. But this is actually quite a sensible question. Peter, he was schooled in the Old Testament law. He was schooled in eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what he would have grown up knowing. That's what the thing he would have been taught. There's justice. There's justice in the world. There's a law. And if you break the law, the same thing will happen to you. So then Jesus is saying, 
well, go and talk to your brother and, and then take another person and then tell to the church. And so he's kind of, he's like, hang on a minute. And so then he, he goes, goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? How many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? He's like saying, what are the new rules here in your kingdom, Jesus? I, this is new. I, I, I don't know where to, to land this. Like, what are the new rules here? That's, that's what he's asking. And Jesus, using brilliant bit of humor, really, turns it around on its head. Seven times. Well, try timesing that by 70. That's how many times you should forgive. And obviously, he's not talking about an exact number. He's just, he's saying, look, as many times as you need to, we need to forgive. And again, back to the Lord's Prayer. That's a daily prayer. That's something that Jesus teaches us to pray, how we relate to God. And forgiveness is enshrined in that. So forgiveness for the Christian should be a lifestyle. It should be an ongoing thing, an ongoing part of, of who we are. Now, this is important for us for a couple of reasons. Okay, First of all, if you have been wronged in a big way, if someone has wronged you lots, this can be important. Because when you think you've forgiven, sometimes life goes on and then something else comes up and you realize there's another layer. It's almost like another layer has been pulled back and then you realize there's more forgiveness you need to release to that person who wronged you. So this is why this is important. You've got to, you can't see forgiveness as a one-off thing. It's, it's happened in the past, that's it, I'll move on. You've got to be open to it, it, having to do it again. Secondly, this is really important where there's ongoing an ongoing relationship where there's uh, wrongdoing. And I think this one's relevant to all of us, right? That work colleague who you have to work with every day who just either undermines you or does things that are wrong or maybe they're lazy or they don't pull their weight or maybe they just are annoying <laughs> or whatever it is. Sure, some of us can relate to that. What about parents that still don't get you, even now? Or, or what about your, often it's the closest people to you. So for me, Anna, my wife, is my closest friend, my soulmate in this world, undeniably. Ah, oh, it's true. But she's also the person that I have had to forgive the most, I'd say. Not because she's a bad person. You know her, she's a lovely person but just because we're humans and that's, how, that's what humans are like when you rub together that much. That's why Jesus knows we need to cultivate forgiveness as a lifestyle and in marriage particularly, that's massive. But it's true also in any ongoing relationship and that's why I said at the beginning, it's important for us as a church family as well because we will, we will hurt each other, we will make mistakes, we will say things sometimes either in, either in anger or just in negligence that will hurt one another. We've got to be forgiving. We've got to be forgiving. We've got to forgive one another. And it's important to say that forgiveness does not mean that what they did to you is right. You're not saying that. You're not just letting them off the hook or just trying to say, okay, it wasn't right, it doesn't matter. You're acknowledging that it was wrong and you're releasing forgiveness to them. Remember, grace, undeserved. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they get off free or that you give up all your rights. So, the third mistake we make about forgiveness is that we are forgetful. We're forgetful of our own forgiveness. In the story, 
Isn't it shocking how quickly the servant forgets that he's just been let off this huge debt? So they reckon that it's 17 years wages. It would be like, heaven forbid this happened to anyone, but it would be like if you lost your job and you couldn't afford to pay your mortgage. And then you went to your bank and you said, please be patient with me. I will pay off the debt. Please be patient with me. And they said, it's fine. I'll cancel it. Your mortgage is gone. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Imagine that. <laughs> Please, Lord. <laughs> but that is what it's like. That, that, is, that, is, that is how big this debt was that he got cancelled. And yet, ten minutes later, he's, there's someone who owes him the equivalent of like a tenner. And, he, and he's, it's like he's forgotten so quickly. And the other servants, they're rightly kind of outraged, aren't they? When they see it, they're like, I can't believe this guy's done this. Going to, we've got to tell the king this. There's just there's a human reaction, isn't there? There's a human kind of reactionist that says, "That's well, come on, mate, that's wrong." <laughs> we can forget sometimes our forgiveness, and what happens is that when we forget our own forgiveness, we leave the realm of grace that we've been brought into by the blood of Jesus, and we return to the level of law. It's like we leave grace and we return to law or justice, the justice level, and that leads us straight into starting to judge. That leads us straight into a sense of entitlement. They wronged me. They owe me. Like the servant, he finds this guy who owes him a tenner and he grabs him and begins to choke him. And that is not someone who's living in grace, is it? You see, the experiencing God's forgiveness is supposed to change you. It's supposed to change you. And if it doesn't, and if it hasn't, then there is a question there. Have you really received it? Remember, they're integral, hand in glove, one and the other. Receiving forgiveness, giving forgiveness. So an action point here for all of us is that we need to remember the extent to which we've all been forgiven by God. And no offense that we may suffer will come close to the weight of our own sin before God. That's the truth that we need to dig into and get hold of and get close to. You know, if that guy had have remembered, if he was walking down the street thinking, oh my gosh, I've just been forgiven my whole mortgage. Wow, the king is so generous to me. I can't believe it. And then he saw someone who owed him a tenner. He'd be like, mate, don't worry. It's fine. It's fine. I've just been forgiven so much more than that. Of course I can let you off that. That's, that's what it should be like. That's, when we live in the grace realm, then forgiveness is something that spreads easily. And that's what, that's what God's whole plan is. <laughs> That's what he wants to happen. He wants forgiveness to spread like this. Um, Revelation 2, verse 5, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, remember the height from which you've fallen. That's a great word. Some of us, we need to do, we need to come to the cross. We need to linger there. We need to meditate. It's part of our daily life. Meditate, remember the height from which we've fallen. Remember that the wonderful grace of God that saved us and let it change you. We all have an unpayable debt, just like that servant. As you know, um, working with debt is a part of my job, part of my role for the church. I run our Christians Against Poverty Debt Center. And in many cases, um, it's great. We see people go debt-free and it's wonderful. In a lot of cases, though, people don't make it through. Uh, they drop out 
And one of the reasons, well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is that sometimes people, they, they ask us for help, but then when it actually comes to it and we're sitting down with them and push comes to shove and they need to kind of do some stuff and put some things in place, sometimes it's like people, they don't really recognize that their debts are that big a problem. Or maybe they think, oh, I've got bigger problems, so I'm going to leave the debt at the moment. Or sometimes they just think, well, they're not really prepared to see it through. Or they've got their coping mechanisms and they don't really want to give the kind of control over to cap. They want to keep doing it themselves. And we, we actually find that a lot. Those are two common reasons why sometimes people don't, don't carry on working with us. And I was thinking about this, and it really is similar to us and our debt of sin towards God. When you don't recognize your debts are that big a problem, then you haven't properly repented. That's what that situation is. And therefore, you can't properly receive the grace of God. Or, if you don't really want to receive the help, and actually that's pride, isn't it? That's pride if you think, well, no, God, I, I know you died for me, I know you want to forgive me my sins, but uh, surely, uh, surely I've got to do something. Surely I've got to do something to earn my earn favor. Or, uh, surely, uh, surely you can't cover my... I've done so many bad things. Surely you, what you did, it's not enough for that. As crazy as that sounds, a lot of Christians fall into that trap. It's actually pride. And pride can stop you being humble enough to then receive the free gift of forgiveness that God wants to give you. Number four, common mistakes that Christians make about forgiveness. And I said Christians have anger issues. <laughs> okay? Uh, and what happens is when we leave the level of grace and we return to the level of law, we allow anger in. That kind of unrighteous indignation that comes in. The kind of thing that your kids say a lot. I certainly hear my kids say a lot. It's not fair! Such a classic thing to, for kids to say. Uh, and for us as well. I think what I mean by this is that I think we can get confused about anger. So we know that there's two types of anger. We know that there's righteous anger over here. And we know that there's sinful anger over here. And we know that sinful anger is bad and righteous anger is good. But we get confused about the difference between the two. Let me explain what I mean by this. Here's a definition of anger, okay? Anger is energy aroused in defense of something good and released against something evil. Energy aroused in defense of something good and released against something evil. Now, God is always righteously angry. And we actually see in Scripture that there's, God is angry. <laughs> God has anger. Uh, look at Jesus with the Pharisees. Look at Jesus with the, the temple uh, sellers. You know, he, he wasn't afraid and he wasn't ashamed to show anger. It even says in Psalm 7, verse 11, God is an honest judge. He's angry with the wicked every day. <laughs> so God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, here's what happens to anger when it goes sinful, when it goes wrong. It's like a bad, it's like fruit when it goes overly ripe. And then it starts to go all like moldy and horrible or brown or whatever it is. And you bite into it and it's gone off. It's rancid. It's gone sour. That's what anger can happen. That's what can happen to us in the realm of anger. And 
I think often linked into this area of forgiveness, and particularly unforgiveness, is a particular type of anger, and that is bitterness. Okay, bitterness. Bitterness is when anger settles, sour. And here's what happens when bitterness gets hold. Um, It means that you hold someone liable for sin, but you also will or hope for their downfall. It's like you want to see them brought down. That's what bitterness is. Okay, it's, it's almost like glasses that you put on that you, and suddenly you see the world in a different way. You see the world um, through a kind of indignation and an anger and a sort of a sense of um, resentment, of irritation. And even actually you can feel superior towards the other person. Well, I can't believe they've done this against me. That kind of sentiment. Now here's the amazing thing about God. God is angry all day with sinners, but never bitter. God's anger does not have a molecule of bitterness in it. This is the amazing thing. You need to get this right. God is angry with sinners, but he bears them no ill will. He's angry with sinners, but he bears them no ill will. Because he's the God of love. But he hates sin, but he loves people. In the story, it says that the king, in anger, handed the servant over to be tortured. Now, we, I don't know whether it's just me, but we can easily just interpret that as a kind of malicious, spiteful thing. A kind of like, go on, may you rot in jail. I don't care about you anymore. I can't believe what you've done. But that's not, that's not the king. That's not the king. That's not his character. You see, he's, always sh- he's already shown amazing love to him by forgiving his debt. He bears him no ill will, but the servant's unrighteous anger shows that he hadn't understood. He hadn't received the master's forgiveness. And so his, his bitterness led him to choke this other servant, to go, give me my money back. Anger, bitterness was in his heart. And bitterness eats you up inside. It leads you, as I've said, to look at the world through the spectacles of unrighteous anger, to blow things out of proportion, just like the servant did. You know, the man's just been forgiven a fortune and then he jumps down the throat of someone who owes him a very small amount. And Paul just hits this right on the head in Ephesians 4 and he's teaching the Ephesians on this. He says in Ephesians 4.31, Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Those are other types of unrighteous anger. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. There it is again. Same uncompromising message. Get rid of bitterness. Just get it off you. And forgive as God forgave you. And bitterness, it's an epidemic in our society. It really is. I think there's something in British culture that kind of keeps it there. I think sometimes you can walk around, you can see it written on people's faces. Very sad. And again, you know, Jesus wants us to be free from that. Jesus wants us to be people who, yeah, we we sometimes are aroused by anger in the right way, in defense of something good. But not. Not that kind of anger, not that bitterness. Final thing, 
Number five, Christians take unforgiveness way too lightly. Common mistake Christians make. Now, in the end of the story, where it says that, I mean, it's quite, it's quite grim, isn't it, the way it ends, that in, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And at first glance, you think, well, that doesn't sound like our God. What's that about? Well, this word, it, it, the word used for torture here is actually talking about a spiritual torment. Okay, so it's a spiritual torment. And this is the really, really important thing about unforgiveness is that unforgiveness gives the devil a foothold in our lives. Okay, unforgiveness gives the devil a foothold. It has, (laughs) you see the thing about unforgiveness is that it has no effect whatsoever on the person that you're not forgiving. On the person that you're bitter about, they could be getting on merrily with their life completely oblivious the person that unforgiveness affects is you it eats you up inside and it can damage you it can damage your relationship with God and as as we've heard these words of Jesus here unforgiveness is a dangerous thing because how, how much are we truly forgiven and living in the good of Jesus's forgiveness of us if we're harboring unforgiveness that's really what Jesus is saying here when you forgive you set a captive free and you realize that you were that captive. So I know this has been, this is quite a hard hitting message. I mean, it is, isn't it? Jesus' words are hard hitting here. But you know what? The positive side of it is that forgiveness is a beautiful, liberating, grace releasing thing. And it is an amazing thing to do as a Christian. It's an amazing thing um, for us to get hold of and to, and to put into our lives. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, he says to Corinthians, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Satan's schemes, is, in fact, his primary scheme against us is to stop us forgiving. Well, certainly one of them. Okay. So forgiveness and living out a lifestyle of forgiveness keeps us in grace. It keeps us in a place of of blessing. It keeps us in a place of safety, a place of freedom. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to live. And as I said at the beginning, it, it can be hard to do to do it. But boy, is it worth it. Boy, is it worth it on so many levels, not just the positives in terms of how you then live and you live in the freedom and you live in uh, f- just free from bitterness and free from anger against others and you're free to enjoy and experience the grace that God has given you, but it also stops the devil getting a foothold in your life. Now, if this, we're, we're heading for a close now and we're, and we're, we're going to, in a moment, as I say, we're, we're going um, to pray and we're going to do some forgiving. But just to say, um, if God has helped you to forgive, then that is, that is real fuel for worship. Real fuel for worship. Uh, because that is an amazing thing. Particularly if, if something, you know, something really bad has happened to you, or someone has really wronged you in a big way, then your forgiveness is an amazing, precious demonstration of grace. And it's something that can radiate out to others. And it's something that is a massive testimony, a massive part of what God has given you in terms of your witness to other people. 
So if, if he has helped you to forgive, praise him. And you're a trophy of his grace. And you can stay and stand in that place and keep walking in it. If you know, as I've been speaking, you know that you can relate to that thing about bitterness or unforgiveness. I just appeal to you just to, to let go and to to do it. The other thing that people get confused about is forgiveness because they think it's a it's a feeling. They think you have to be ready, you have to you have to kind of be in a particular state or something. Well, um, there may be some truth in that, but ultimately it's a choice. That's the main thing. It's a choice. It's a choice of the will. It's a choice of the will. And God can help you to do it. 